You are listening to Where is the Line? The stories you will hear will be depraved, disturbing, and true. If you are easily unsettled, you may find this program offensive. And if you are under the age of 18, fuck off. Genghis Khan sent a caravan with precious gifts to Shah Muhammad II, hoping to establish trade. The merchants, along with one of the ambassadors, were executed. The rules of hospitality, which Genghis Khan considered sacred, were broken, and he started planning his retribution. Everybody drinking blood, everybody eating brains, some monster party. Everybody eating flesh, everybody breaking bones. It's a monster party. Thank you so much for listening to episode 36 of Where is the Line? My name is Kevin, and believe it or not, with me two weeks in a row, it's Robin. It's me. Say I something disturbing, Robin. Mouth sounds. Mouth sounds. <laughs> <laughs> when you hear the phrase mouth sounds... <laughs> Honk your horn. There's also someone else lurking in the room. Liz. Hello. Hey, Liz. <laughs> hey, Robin. <laughs> Liz has been uh, working on her Instagram Yay. and actually putting things on it. Um, there, how long had it been since someone had put anything on the Instagram? I don't know, like a couple of months, I think. It had been a long time. Not just things, impressive. Like noisy, impressive things. I like yeah. noisy things. pictures. Uh, yeah, yeah, she has placed digital noisy photographs on the Instagram <laughs> along with dating games, I hear. That's true. Yeah, we had a Valentine's Day dating game. Yeah, uh, it was um, Anatoly Moskovin, Issei Sagawa, and Glenn Summerford. They okay. were all competing on The Bachelor. Nice, Who won? nice. Uh, Anatoly won by a landslide. Really? <laughs> Everyone thought that he seemed very romantic and um As long as it loving. wasn't Issei Sagawa, he took a fucking ass. <laughs> yeah, no. One person did say Issei. Really? Yeah. Speaking of hating assholes, <laughs> on the last episode, uh, I made some remarks about Gene Simmons and uh, the Kiss Army has retaliated. <laughs> We have, for the first time, received negative reviews <laughs> on iTunes. So normally we wait until the end to read the reviews, but this time we're going to put them up front. The Kiss Army writes, mediocre. The wit is not great. The color commentary is worse. Subject matter is great, but wasted on these two. Well, joke's on you, because we have no idea what these two you're talking about. <laughs> In our second of the first batch of negative reviews, Gene Simmons, under the pseudonym No Gooped, writes, Dry Mouths. Please stop smacking your mouth. These microphones pick up every mouth sound and I can't even listen to the story. I think it's the chick. Well, joke's on you. We don't even know what fucking chick you're talking about. <laughs> uh, actually, I think I do know which chick Gene Simmons is talking about here. There, there's a phenomenon <laughs> called cotton mouth. 
which afflicted, <laughs> particularly afflicted, one of our former co-hosts. Before we move on into part two of Subutai, Subutai versus the Quarismian Shaw, I want to mention that the episode art for this is uh, by Kevin Edwards. Kevin from Groveport. If you've been listening for a while, you might have heard some of his voicemails. Uh, if you check out the show notes... For this episode, you'll find a link to his Instagram. You can see other fantastic things that he's painted. Also, speaking of artists, uh, there's somebody I really, really want to shout out, which is Ashley Jensen, who created the design for our Where is the Line t-shirts. Yay! <laughs> I was. It's so narcissistic, but I'm so happy about them. They're cool. I know she she made a picture of me uh, with the Where Is the Line logo underneath, and they're available on Amazon. They're really fucking hard to find. I mean, like finding our show on Amazon's like trying to find it on Google Nest. Fucking nightmare. Every Alexa time you try hates to, you too. Yeah, Alexa too. You can't find. You can't voice. <laughs> Alexa. Play the podcast, Where is the Line? Here's the Apology Line from Amazon Music. Here's introducing the Apology Line. Alexa, <laughs> stop. Alexa, play the podcast, Where is the... I found Ted Radio Hour. <laughs> what? Alexa, stop. Stop. <laughs> anyway. Do we need to make life easier and post a link to the t-shirts? Oh, yeah, we could do that. Yeah, I'll put a link on the website. <laughs> Where is the line.net? Good thinking, Robin. Oh, yay, it's what I'm here for. Uh, but anyway, uh, Ashley and I are going to split the profits uh, of these t-shirt sales. So, so far, we've sold 13. And Six of them are in this house right now. Yes, Robin <laughs> is wearing one. And, um, yeah, I, I got a couple. <laughs> <laughs> As if... Ashley's depiction of me, which turned into a t-shirt, weren't enough. She joined our Patreon. Wow. Along with Lee1024, Dustin Kirk, Kim Roberts, who I believe is Ashley's mother. You wouldn't know it. They look like sisters. And Holly Cass. Thank you so much to our patrons for supporting our show. We also got a, a, a Brayton Hevelin, one of our other new patrons, asked that I give Brad a shout out, who is the person who turned her on to our show. Uh, we need more guys out there like Brad. Thank you, Brad. Good job, Brad. That's probably everything. You ready to get into it? I'm ready. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Mistakes. We've all made them. Being someone who once challenged a United States Marine to a contest, the purpose of which was to determine which of us had the higher pain tolerance, I can attest that the scars from some mistakes last longer than others. Do you know about that? No, and I was I was like, I feel like I'm, we're about to get off track, so I'm like, Kevin, yeah, so well, tell me you know, more about whatever. this. It's not like we don't do that, but... but I was here for this. I yeah. told you not here? to do it. This happened there. here? No, no, this happened at a bar. Obviously, I was drunk when this happened. I told no you way. not to. 
This isn't the fist fight in the parking lot at Alcove, is it? No. This no, it's a different thing I told them not to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a different thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do believe Liz tells me not to do most of the things that result in me having broken bones and scars. This particular incident, it was, uh, I, I overheard a guy who had formerly been a Marine talking about a thing that they used to do where they would put their arms together, their forearms together, and light a cigarette and set it in between their arms and see who would pull away first. Okay. I heard this and said, I can beat you at this. We had, uh, it finished in a stalemate. Three cigarettes burned out on our arms and neither one of us ever moved. I'm impressed. I'm impressed by the pain tolerance. I don't know about the decision making. No, don't be impressed. It was re- it was fucking stupid. That they is were some, very drunk. That is some like 14 year old teenage angst shit. Like, <laughs> and now I'm a fucking 40 year old with cigarette burns on my arm. I look like. How long ago was this? It should have been longer ago. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> I don't know if I need to keep this. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the scars from some mistakes last longer than others. <laughs> For most of us, though, our snafus are our own. The consequences of our actions fall to ourselves and sometimes to those with whom we associate, but seldom extends beyond. The residue of our missteps tend to erode away with time until they're eventually forgotten altogether. Scars can remain... But over time, we tend to forget how we got them. Occasionally, though, a mistake can change the course of history and even distort the face of the earth. When the Khwarizmian Shah humiliated and killed a couple of Mongolian emissaries, he arguably made one of the most consequential mistakes in all of human history. This mistake would lead to the deaths of millions Borders would be redrawn, family lines would end, entire cities and cultures would disappear from the face of the planet, and the Khwarizmian Empire would fall. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the pursuit of the Khwarizmian Shah by Chinggis Khan's most reliable general and one of the all-time deadliest mofos to ever walk the face of the earth. <laughs> Subutai! Tie, 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 tie. Let's do that one more time. Subutai! Tie, 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 tie. On the last episode, you, Robin, were talking, we were kind of asking about. Why the Khwarizmian Shaw and Rudy Giuliani would fuck with Genghis Khan's emissaries? I think it's a valid question. It is. And here's why. The Khwarizmian Shaw had every reason to not be afraid of Genghis Khan. For one thing, he has already met Subutai in the field and came away from that battle pretty much at a stalemate. And in fact, at the end of that battle, if you remember, Subutai's army lit a bunch of fires and just left in the middle of the night. Okay, I get what you're saying. They're weak, is what the Shaw might think. Well, not necessarily weak. I think the the Shaw respects 
the the Mongol tactics. But I want to go ahead and mention Dan Carlin, because if you're interested in the Mongols, Dan Carlin has this just fucking amazing series uh, called The Wrath of the Cons. It's a podcast series. It's about six episodes. It's one of my favorite podcast series ever. But even Dan Carlin points to this battle between Khwarezmian Shaw's army and Subutai's army that he has with him as being a point where the Khwarezmian Shaw begins to understand or actually fully understands that his army is no match for the Mongols because he actually gets to see them in action. There's no fucking proof of that. That doesn't make any sense. He fought the army and had equal numbers of dead on both sides. Supertai runs away. Why would that leave the Shaw with the impression? Well, I mean, he only had a, he, this is only a section of the, the Mongol army though, right? Yeah. So, I mean. This was only a section of the Khwarezmian Shah. This was okay. only a segment of the Khwarezmian Shah's army, which brings me to point two of why the Khwarezmian Shah shouldn't have been afraid. His army is four times the size of Chinggis's. Chinggis has never fielded. Most people will say Chinggis never fielded more than 100,000 men. The Shah has 400,000 men in his army. Another thing that people will say is that the Khwarezmian Shah's army was divided because the Khwarezmian Empire was relatively new. It hadn't been around that long. And they had been expanding kind of like Chinggis had been and kind of bringing into the fold soldiers from these different places. And so people say the Khwarezmian Shah's army was divided. They didn't even want to be there in the first place. Who the fucking other army does that sound like? Yeah. Chinggis goes across the countryside, conquering places, killing people in these towns except for tradesmen and people he can use as soldiers. You don't have to agree with me because I have, look at that giant stack of shit right there. <laughs> Every bit of that <laughs> is about Mongolian field tactics. Have the, you read all this? Yeah, most of it. Wow. Yeah, he reads a lot in the bathtub. Very well prepared. Yeah, well, no, I like to be. I like to know what I'm talking about before yeah. I start fucking letting it Go. shit out of my face. <laughs> What was I talking about? Uh, why the Shaw should not be afraid. Yeah. And so so it, every bit of that, every, that whole stack, there is not one thing in there that says that every everybody agrees that the Shaw was afraid of Genghis's army. But there's no supporting documentation. It's just opinion. So my opinion is that the Shah was not fucking afraid of Chinggis, and that's why he killed both of the emissaries. His army is four times the fucking size. He's met Subutai in the field, came away pretty good after that, and another reason that the, that the Shah wasn't terribly worried is that all of these, these tactics that the Mongols use, you know, this attacking people from the sides and you don't know where they're coming from. That's not a concern for the Shaw because there is one way in and one way out of the Khwarezmian Empire, and that's through the Zungarian gates. There's a mountain range blocking the rest of the passage. This is a serious fucking mountain range. This is not something you're, you're going to get over very easily. 
So the Shah, believing uh, that the Zungarian Gate is the only way in and out of this empire, is waiting. And underestimating. And underestimating, as a lot of people do, Chinggis Khan and Subutai. Subutai tells Chinggis that on an earlier expedition of his along this mountain range, he found part of a pass that he believed might actually lead through that mountain range and be an alternate route to the Zungarian Gate. So Chinggis sends one of his other generals um, with, with a detachment of about 20,000 men, not the full army, to search for this passage and get through it into the Quarismian Empire. Chinggis had intelligence about trying to cross this mountain range. He was told that it could not be done, for one thing. And if you were going to do it, you sure as shit shouldn't do it in the wintertime. But it just so happened to be wintertime when Chinggis Khan was ready to fuck up the Khwarizmian Empire. So he sent one of his best generals and 20,000 men across this mountain range through five feet of snow. Mm-mm. That's taller than me. There was nothing to eat through here. They lost a lot of men. They lost a lot of horses. It was said that the horses were starving to the point that they were actually seeping blood through their skin. These were emaciated men and animals on the brink of death when they come out the other side of this thing. And they have to build bridges across this mountain range. It's not like there's just... A passage through here. It's not, no one has ever taken this route through the Tian Shan mountain range. Five feet of snow, people are dying, people are starving, they're eating their horses, they're undoubtedly eating each other. And they come out into the Fergana Valley. They're finally through this fucking horror of a mountain range. How long did it take? A long time. Okay, a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like it would take a long time. Yeah. And guess who realized they were coming through there? Oh, no. The Quarizmian Shaw. I don't know why I'm rooting for these people. I'm like, oh, no, they're not going to get the jump on them and murder them. (laughs) (laughs) They tried so hard, though. No, no, they did. They worked so hard. I feel like they deserve to be able to just, you know, chop everybody's head off. The Shaw and his gigantic fucking army. Yeah, so they come out and they fight. They fight fucking hard, but they're starved. I mean, their fucking horses are bleeding through their veins. So they run back up into this mountain range. Um, And this is not a feigned flight. (laughs) They can't, (laughs) you know, they can't. There's no way they can curve around and get back to them or anything. This is a genuine retreat. While they're up in the mountain range... The Shaw learns something very disconcerting. <laughs> so the Quarismian Shaw gets news that the Mongol forces are to his north, which he didn't expect, which no one fucking expected because they crossed the fucking desert to get there. And that's while the other people are still in the mountain. Yes. So there's a 20,000 man detachment in the mountains. A portion of the army has crossed an impassable desert, which part of the way, one of the ways that they were able to do this, and I meant to mention it on the last episode, is 
you know, they're going through the desert. They're going to run out of food. One of the things that the Mongols did to avoid having supply trains is if they got into a situation like that where they did not have any food, uh, they would prick the necks of their horses and drink a little bit of the blood, patch their horses up and go on. Hmm. You can get your calories that way and you can stay alive. And on top of this, uh, the Shah had moved his the bulk of his army to this mountain range because he thought that Chinggis was sending his entire army across there to get the drop on them. They found out the Shah's like, fuck you guys. We, we know where you're coming from. And while he's got his army here, he finds out that there's a bunch of them up at the north sacking fucking cities. And also, they came through the Zungarian Gate, too. While they were over at the mountains. Yep. So did Chinggis send that particular group <laughs> as a distraction? Or so yes. that they could do it the other two ways? Yes, okay. that was essentially their okay. entire point of being there was to be seen going through there. So okay. they went through this fucking misery. Yeah, to die. Well, no, not necessarily to die. They had not planned on dying. That was one thing about Chinggis is that he valued his own men. Okay. Um, he would use people from the communities that he ransacked as cannon fodder, you know, essentially running them out in front of his army. He didn't want these people to die. He lost a lot of them anyway. So now, though, the Shah has... Believed himself to be in front of the bulk of Chinggis's army, and it turns out that there are three fronts to Chinggis's army simultaneously coming into his territory, and they're coming in in such a way the people that came from the north are apparently circling around. They've got the Shaw trapped. What? Sorry, I'm just imagining, like, I got really, really genuinely sad about the people going through the mountains and this whole story is just Yeah, like, it yeah, was apparently was terrible. Sad. Yeah, that passes through the mountains. Every of the actual hardcover books there says that this crossing made Hannibal's crossing of the Alps look like fucking nothing in terms of how miserable it was. Mm. But they made it, most of them. And so now the Shah is essentially surrounded in his own territory. He's just like that. He's thinking, I am on top of Genghis's army. They tried this stupid fucking passage. Now they're all just weak. We got them. And then all of a sudden, he don't got them. And so now the Shah panics a little bit. He withdraws his forces from this mountain pass. The soldiers in that mountain pass, in the mountain pass, end up actually kind of going on out of there. Are you saying that the, once they got driven back into the mountains, they went back through the other way? No. Okay. So, so while, the, while the Mongols that were going through the, the mountain pass, they got word out to Subutai that, uh, you know, they're starving. This shit's not going well. Uh, and Subutai sends some reinforcements to them. The Shah takes off. Because he's learned of, you know, these other fronts of the monk of the, the Mongol military coming into the empire. And but he leaves some people there to deal with this detachment coming through the mountains. The Mongols know that the Shah's army is made up of uh, these fragmented warring tribes that don't really like each other that well. So they retreat into the mountains for a while and kind of regroup and then they come back out and 
the Shah is left with the bulk of the army. The people that are left are kind of afraid uh, of dealing with the Mongols. And so the Mongols talk them into this. They say this one segment of the tribe, you guys can just get out of here. And uh, that'll leave us in a pretty good position to slaughter the rest of these guys. You ain't got to deal with it. Just take off. Here's the thing, though. Normally, the Mongols would have adhered to this shit. But this is the Khwarezmian Shah. This is the Khwarezmian Empire. Fucking Chinggis is personally coming across that fucking desert to deal with these people. This portion of the Shah's army splits in half. The Mongols, weak as they are, are able to kill to a man everyone who remains. And then the people that they let go, they took off after them and killed them too. Every one of them. I don't know why I'm getting so emotional about this story. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you guys were better than that. (laughs) (laughs) No. No. <laughs> when, when, you know, I mean, and that, this is the thing, this is more of a Dan Carlin thing to deal with. He, he, he struggles with, you know, this Mongolian empire changed the course of history largely for the better. It brought peace to this area, but, and he talks about how many lives are worth that peace. That's not, I'm not going there. Okay. What was I talking about? <laughs> the mountains and they killed. They tell them, hey, if you just leave us alone, and then they kill this group, and then they go after the other one, and Chinggis is coming down from the north. Chinggis has already put Subatai, so this remaining column is Subatai's, and he's after the fucking Shaw. That's his responsibility. The Shaw doesn't know who's after him. He just knows that he's being enveloped in the, in this maneuver that's apparently still being taught or discussed in uh, military uh, courses. And in fact, I pulled someone's dissertation. <laughs> Is it that one on the floor? <laughs> no, oh, it's a big one. Called Command and Control Began with Subadai Badur the 13th century Mongol general. I only mention this because the author's name is uh, Sean Slappy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and nice. I, I really, you know, this, this was published back in uh, 2010, but I really hope that he achieved the rank of sergeant and stopped there. Sergeant Sean Slappy. <laughs> sergeant Slappy. <laughs> It'd be great if Sergeant Slappy listened to the show. If you're out there, Sergeant Slappy, I actually enjoyed your thesis, uh, well, comparatively. <laughs> so the Shah moves his troops out of here, and he's got kind of a plan B. Uh, a lot of these books say that this is plan A. I don't think this is plan A. I think plan A was fucking him up in the mountain range. I think this is plan B. Plan B is that he's going to divide his troops and put them inside some of the largest cities in the Khwarezmian Empire. The reason he's doing this is because the Mongols are notoriously bad with walls. All this shit, this feigned flight stuff, you know, the the trickery, you got to get people to come outside to do that. So what do you do when everybody just goes inside behind these giant walls and they just won't come out? The Shah knows that they have trouble with this because before the Shah pissed Chinggis off to the point that he broke off and came on over there, 
Chinggis was involved in a war with the Jin dynasty. The Jin dynasty had these big walls around their cities, just like the Khwarezmian Empire does. And the Mongols were having fucking trouble with it. They were sitting outside these walls for months. You know how they finally got through? How? They told one of these cities. They said, uh, so these cities, they believe the Mongols to be just these barbarians, you know, like we were talking about before. They tell they tell the inhabitants of the city, if you'll send us uh, as an offering 2,000 pigeons and a thousand cats it may not have been pigeons it might have been something else whatever two thousand birds and a thousand cats we will take that as payment for your lives and we'll leave you alone okay so the people in the city they gather up all these cats and these birds and they take them out to the mongols this is super dodge doing <laughs> the mongols tie uh, a bunch of cloth uh, around the feet of the animals and set it on fire and let them all go. All the animals go home and the city burns to the fucking ground. That's so smart. Cruel, but so smart. That's so mean. Oh my gosh, but so brilliant. Mm-hmm. But now this isn't a tactic you're going to get away with a lot. <laughs> People are going to find know? out that you don't give them birds and cats. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with a... Quit giving them animals. <laughs> Do not give Chingus a cat. He'll set it on fire and then come back to the house. That's so sad. Man. <laughs> but I mean, this isn't like the feigned flight, you know. Man. They keep getting away with this feigned flight. And I think about that a lot. And, you know, and I think it's because people's blood gets up in the heat of the moment mm. in the battle. And if the Mongols acting is good enough when they start to run away, you know, you're thinking we how do you know the difference between them actually running away and them pretending to run away? Yeah. So so, this, you know. Setting cats and birds on fire. That That's worked that so, one time. Wow. But, uh, you know, it's not like the feigned flight thing. You you, you can't depend on people's blood boiling in the heat of battle to take off after you. You're going to go and ask some people for some cats and some birds, and they're going to say, fuck no, we heard what you did with them last time. <laughs> <laughs> Fool us once. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know who is good at dealing with walls, though? The Jins. The Jin dynasty that, 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 that Chinggis was attacking. So once he pulls this shit off with the birds and the, the cats, he's known for taking tradesmen and things. So he has the foresight to say, who built these walls and who builds those catapults and shit that you guys use when you attack people with that have walls? And he takes all of those people into his army. The Quizman Shaw knew everything up to the cats. He didn't know about the cats. <laughs> and he, he didn't know that Chingus had pulled into his army, who are at that time the best siege engineers on the planet. So the Shaw has pulled his armies into these walled cities is a sort of last resort, believing that the Mongols, like has happened several times over in the Jin dynasty, come up to these walls, sit outside trying to fucking get over them for a couple months and get sick of it and leave. But that's not going to happen. Nope. They show up drinking dragon fucking catapults and all kinds of shit that the Shah hasn't even seen before. <laughs> so I mentioned that Chingus came on this expedition in one flank of the army. Genghis is personally going to deal with Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> so Rudy Giuliani, uh, his real name is Enelchuk. 
henceforth known as Rudy Giuliani. Just know that this is <laughs> there was not a man in uh, the choirs of Empire named Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> But this is the guy that basically fucked it up for everybody. This is the first guy who killed the emissaries. This was the the governor uh, that killed the emissaries that that Chingus gave him a second chance after that. After the Shaw blows that second fucking chance, Chingus is on the move and his first stop is fucking Rudy Giuliani's place. (laughs) So this is a city called Atrar. And this this is one of the first times that the Mongols have actually tried to put these these siege warfare implements in place. And they're kind of getting the hang of it. So this siege actually lasts five months. They're getting the hang of shit. It's like the trial. <laughs> they're like, we're going to stop by here and see how we can handle this before we. Oh, no, no, yeah. they're not just stopping by. No, this is Rudy Giuliani's in there. But this is their, like, yeah, but I guess what I'm saying is, like, okay, this is a practice run for us before we, like, we, we're going to stay here, but we're going to try all this stuff out. I'm not so sure if it was a practice run or if it was just the first place they hit okay. with with these. So some of the people inside uh, Autrar actually defect. They say, look, we're going to join your army. We don't even like this guy. And uh, a lot of them don't because he's, you know, you know how the Mongols go through places and they they don't give a fuck about your religion. Uh, A lot of these are very religious people. And the Shah is a Muslim. And when he he's been conquering places as well over on his side of the mountains. And when he conquers a place, you're a fucking Muslim now. And a lot of these people did not care for that. So they come to Genghis and they say, you know, we're going to we're going to join your army. We hear that you take, you know, people in your armies. Genghis accepts their surrender and then he kills every fucking one of them. Wow. Man, they hated Giuliani, too. Genghis is fucking pissed. Apparently. Yeah. So now the gates to the city are open. Rudy Giuliani's got nowhere to go. So he goes to the citadel in the middle of the city, climbs all the way up to the top and kind of makes a stand there with uh, kind of a group of guards. They're up in the top of this, this citadel kind of throwing rocks down at, you know, the, the Mongols. They're actually getting some people with these rocks. Uh, but, you know. It's only so many rocks up there. (laughs) They eventually run out of shit to throw and uh, the Mongols go up there and they grab Rudy Giuliani and take him kicking and fucking screaming to Chinggis Khan. And, you know, obviously this guy's, you know, begging for his life. He he offers Chinggis anything, just anything and everything you know, all of the silver, this gold, anything to get the fuck out of this. It ain't going to fucking happen. Mm-hmm. We all know he's not getting out of this. And what Chingus does at this point is probably going to sound familiar if you're a Game of Thrones fan. Chingus doesn't like that these these people are all slovenly. They're too fucking obsessed with gold and silver. They don't know how to live out on their own. They've been they become complacent in these cities. He takes a, a big pile of silver and throws it into a smelter and starts heating it up. Uh, once it liquefies, uh, he takes it over to Rudy Giuliani, drops some in both of his eyes, and then rolls him over on his side and pours it in his ears. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Does he cover his whole body or just do the eyes and the ears? Just the eyes and the ears. I feel like that'd do it, though. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, because silver, which is the metal that you use, melts at 1,763 degrees oh Fahrenheit. Gosh. That is 961 degrees Celsius for our listeners everywhere else in the world. So your eyes would liquefy instantly at that temperature. Probably, uh, yeah. I'm not sure if he would have survived much past the first uh, dripping of the silver into the eye socket. The rest is just for show. And now, now that Chingus has killed Rudy Giuliani, Enel Chuck, he's about to really <laughs> get fucking mean. What? I'm sorry. Oh. It gets worse? He has not even started showing his ass yet. Wow. <laughs> so this guy's name is Anal Chuck? Anal Chuck. Starts with an I. Oh, uh, okay. Because it sounds like Anal Chuck. I just thought that was funny. That was hilarious. I'm I'm just surprised that we're giving him a nickname like Rudy Giuliani and not making fun and not making butt jokes about it. That's all. That's a good point. That's all. Uh, We don't take the low hanging fruit on where's the line. (laughs) That is definitely not true. (laughs) Are you? Have you joined the Kiss Army? You know what? (laughs) No, the low hanging fruit goes on the Patreon. (laughs) That's what happened. Nothing goes on the Patreon. (laughs) Sorry, patrons. Not anymore. So, Chingus has fucked up Autrar. And February 1220, he moves on to a city called Burkara. And Burkara has a population of 300,000 people. That's bigger than the city we're in now. And Burkara has been around for 500 years. And it's, it's, Really only rivaled by Baghdad as kind of the seat of Islamic culture and learning. This is the religious hub of the Khwarezmian Empire. They had a library that had 45,000 books in it. Uh, Some of the finest architecture in the Muslim world. Um, It it was described by, by one person who passed through it as, quote, focus of splendor, the shrine of empire the meeting place of the most unique intellects of the age. This was civilization. This isn't tribes out on the step. And, you know, like I've mentioned, Genghis is usually not interested in fucking up people's religion. He just wants what he wants. And he moves on. Not these motherfuckers. Not the Quarismian Empire. He knows how important their religion is to them. So Genghis Khan takes the city pretty quickly, and he strides straight to the largest mosque in town and has the wealthiest people in town rounded up and brought in there. The Koran, the actual physical book itself, is very important in Muslim culture. Genghis Khan tells these people, we're turning your mosque into a manger for our horses. We're going to use all of these copies of the Quran that you have. We're going to tear them up and use them in the place of hay in the floor so that our horses can shit and piss all over them. So Chinggis is standing on the Muslim equivalent of a a pulpit um, addressing this large congregation of the most influential and powerful people in the city. And Chinggis says something at this point which is, this is one of those points in history that comes about every now and then where somebody says something that's 
they're the only person who could say it and have it carry the weight that it carries. Genghis Khan, standing in front of all these people, says, quote, O people, know that you have committed great sins and that the great ones among you have committed these sins. If you ask me what proof I have for these words, I say it is because I am the punishment of God. If you had not committed great sins, God would not have sent a punishment like me upon you. At that point, once you hear that, you've heard of this man. You've heard of Genghis Khan. He is personally here in your town. This isn't a detachment. The man himself is standing in front of you and telling you that the proof of your evil deeds is simply that I am here because what's about to happen rivals hell. So when Chingus gets done saying this, steps off of the pulpit and they slaughter 30,000 people. They tore down every building in the city, every single one. They destroyed all of the finery they had, all of the monuments that they had. This was a wealthy, impressive city. They took every bit of it to the ground. Their library books burned every bit of it. They leveled everything. And once they had the whole thing torn to the ground, they set it on fire. That's how fucking pissed off Jenkins is. So that city is not around anymore. Uh, Well, people tried to raise it back up, but they so thoroughly laid waste to this place that it was um, a a Moroccan man. It was at least 100 years later, went through where Burkara had been and said its mosques, its colleges, its bazaars are all in ruins. And he said, quote, there is not one person in it today who possesses any religious learning or shows any concern for acquiring it. A hundred years later, the people on the spot are avoiding religion. That is how thoroughly destroyed the city became. So while Chingus is destroying some of the most prominent cities in the world, the Khwarizmian Shahs hold up in the capital city of Samarkand. When the Shah went into the city, he went in there with, you know, he had split his forces up uh, amongst some of the larger walled cities in the empire. He went to his capital city with the bulk of his forces. He has a huge army there. He believes that he can hold out for years in the capital city. That was when he got there. That was before he heard what had been happening In the other cities, Samarkand, it was said, would hold out for years. It fell in four days. The Shah barely got away. So the Shah was inside Samarkand when all this shit goes down. And he leaves. At this point, his his personal guard is distributed. I mean, he, he has put every man he has somewhere. He leaves Samarkand. With himself, the clothes on his back, and one personal guard. And he barely gets away with his life. And so now, 
A lot of people, everything you read says that the Shah was afraid of Chinggis from the get-go because of what had happened between him and Subutai earlier. I, I think this is the first time that the Shah starts seeing Chinggis Khan the same way that millions of other people have come to see him. And I think that this is the first time that the Shah is afraid of Chinggis. That's just me. The Shah is on the run now, though. Just the Shah, the clothes on his fucking back, and this one badass guard of him, and they're running. So they're going city to city. Uh, they, they'll try to hold up. And Subutai, who, as you will recall, is who specifically Chinggis dispatched to track down the Shah. Subutai and his army that doesn't have a supply train that is on horseback and moves faster than any army in the world is right on the heels of these two fucking guys. Constantly. The Shah is going through cities, telling the people in the cities to burn all of their crops, to kill all of their animals, because he doesn't want Subutai being able to collect anything that might be advantageous to his cause, which is tracking down and killing the Shah. So this goes on over and over. And a lot of people say that he is actually trying to raise another army to attack Subutai. And I feel like, I feel like everything just gets this backwards because everything says that the Shah was terrified of Chinggis Khan after he fought with Subutai and that when he is running and telling all these people to burn their crops and things, that this is a tactical maneuver on his part so that he can have time to rebuild an army to mount a counterattack. I think he's just fucking scared. I mean, he's telling these people to burn things. He's telling people in these cities to stand up and fight against the Mongols. And at this point, you know, they, they had just completely destroyed so many cities. I feel like he's just destroying his own place or whatever based on, like just the way he's it's almost like he's leading them to these different cities just for everybody to die. He's trying to get away. I mean, he's trying to get away. Yeah, but I'm but I guess I'm but do you, I'm like if he dies, does this stop? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I just like if you're a leader. Well, a lot of these people don't like him, you <laughs> yeah. know, so the Mongols come through. So they have, they've been laying waste, just avoiding to time cities and people. Yeah. But the, these are these are also the same things that a terrified person might do who was being pursued by an army. So Subutai chases the Khwarezmian Shah for four years. This does not stop for the Shah. At, at no point over four years is he not on the run. He's disguising himself. He's trying to evade a horrible death in any possible way. And no matter what he does, Subutai keeps fucking finding him and he has to run again. Just him and this one guy. Hundreds of miles over four years. And finally, the Shah comes to the Caspian Sea and finds a boat and takes off 
with Subutai and his armies. According to the histories, just minutes behind him. According to the histories, which so dramatic as to most certainly not be true. <laughs> it is said that, that Subutai's army chases the Khwarizmian Shah to the shores of the Caspian Sea, and they see the Shah going across the water in a boat. They have no means of getting across this water. And that Subutai's army is so upset after chasing this man for four years and seeing him going across the water that a lot of them run their horses into the Caspian Sea and drown trying to swim out to the Khwarizmian Shah. The Khwarizmian Shah, Muhammad Aladdin II, crosses the Caspian Sea after being chased for four years and ends up on a small island, penniless. His clothes are rags. In fact, the shirt that he's wearing, he, he bummed it from a slave that he met in one of the towns that he passed through trying to evade Subutai. And so he's crossed the Caspian Sea and he lands on this island and dies of pleurisy. Penniless, alone, the former leader of one of the greatest empires on earth dies in a ragged shirt that he took from a slave. Genghis Khan dies in the mid-1200s, possibly injured in battle. So Chinkis was, he was buried. Nobody knows where he's buried. We don't even know what he looked like. This is a time period where there are a lot of paintings and things coming out of Europe. And there are a lot of paintings and things coming out of Asia. But Chinggis Khan, we have no, 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 no paintings, no depictions of him. It would be 700 years before we found out what Chinggis Khan looked and sounded like. And sounded like. How do we know that? In 1956, an American thespian expertly portrayed Chinggis Khan. So let's take a listen to our best guess of what Chinggis Khan actually <laughs> sounded like. I'm sure this is going to be perfectly on point. I'm, I'm totally ready. As portrayed by John Wayne. Oh my gosh. Listen to me. There are moments for wisdom, Jamoga. Then I listen to you. There are moments for action, then I listen to my blood. I feel this Tartar woman is for me. My blood says, take her. (laughs) 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 Historically accurate depiction. (laughs) Genghis Khan. Uh, That movie, by the way, is called The Conqueror. So if you'd like to learn more. (laughs) Very... Accurate information about James Scott. Uh, be sure to check out The Conqueror, 1956. Nice. Chinkus was buried by a hundred men in an undisclosed location. A hundred men took his remains to a burial place somewhere. All 100 of those men were killed to keep his burial place a secret. Everyone who saw these 100 men going to wherever the fuck they went with Genghis's remains were killed. Anyone with any knowledge 
of what direction Chinggis' body might have even took off in were killed. And to this day, nobody knows where Chinggis Khan is buried. Who killed them? Other Mongols. Why'd they send a hundred? Like if everybody that goes out there is going to die, just send like, how many many you need? You need like 10 guys, maybe. He's Chinggis Khan. (laughs) So... Were they, did they know? Did they know that when they went that this was what was going to happen? That they were like, this was like an honor to go with this body and bury it and then die? Subadai went on to serve. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> we have a lot of questions. <laughs> what happens to Subadai? <laughs> Subadai went on to serve the cons for essentially the rest of his life. Uh, Chinggis's son, Ogadai, took over after Chinggis died, and Subadai served under him. A lot of people tell you that Subadai never lost a battle. That's absolutely not true, and it's explicitly stated in the secret history of the Mongols that he did lose a battle and almost lost his position as general. After all of this shit, Ogadai, Chinggis's son, almost fired Subadai. For losing a battle. Uh, but he got talked out of it and Subutai continued to serve in the Mongolian army as a general. Wait, one battle. Like, he lost one battle and the guy was like, I'm going to fire you. Yeah, he, he most likely lost other battles, but that was the one battle that he lost while was, Ogadai was yeah. gone. Subutai lived to be around 72 or 73 years old, which was uh, pretty old for the time. Uh, Subadai died in 1248. Do we know what happened to his body? No. Especially long voicemail to listen to. I haven't heard it yet. Uh, like I've said before, I tend to just look at the uh, the Google transcriptions of these voicemails. According to Google's transcript, this voicemail comes from Bear, like a bear bear calling. Hey, my name is Bear, like a bear bear um, calling. I just listened to the Pam Babcock um podcast and Samantha was talking about the five years of um, chronic diarrhea. Yeah, that is possible. Um, it, and it can be worse. I will share with you probably for the world to hear. Is that embarrassing? Yeah, it is. I bet other bad things can happen. And since y'all deal with disgusting, yeah, you might air it. I don't know. I don't tell people this, but I uh, actually, because I had five years of chronic diarrhea, unexplained, <laughs> I actually started having um, anal itching, like a rash that would not go away. Um, it's not catching. <laughs> it's just horrible, horrible. And the only cure for both, crazy, true, pregnancy. <laughs> I like literally at the age, get this, this is even more crazy, 45, the age of 45 got pregnant. And cured myself of both diarrhea and anal itching. So 
I want to say I just really, really enjoy the podcast. Um, never seen Kevin's, you know what, the unmentionables, and by that I mean eyebrows. Um, so I have nothing bad to say about them. I'm sure they're lovely. And um, please keep the, the podcast going. It's just um, a joy to listen to until it's not. And then it becomes a joy again. I don't know how you guys bring that full circle, but you do. Um, soon to be Patreon, I just don't have the funds for that yet, but I absolutely will join. And um, toodaloo. Thank you so much for that voicemail. Uh, and take it from our caller. Uh, should your butthole begin to itch, get pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Our next voicemail, according to Google Translate, seems to come from Nurse. Hello, darlings. It is Nurse Nanny. Before I tell the story, I want to say I love all my patients. I uh, This patient that I'm going to speak about has dementia, and we can all end up there someday. But regardless... Shit's still funny. So it's shift change, and you're given report to another nurse on like six patients. You go around and talk about everybody, and this one guy, he's just in his room screaming, I did it, blah, blah, blah. getting up and trying to set it. He's setting his bed alarm off, which is for people who are fall risks, and like you don't want them to fall down and crack his head open. And we go in there, and you're just like, dude, if you chill. I will get you an enema as soon as I can. But the more you wiggle around and get up and scream, that keeps me from getting the enema for you. And he's never done this before. And he'd been there for a hot minute. And I'm just like, whatever. So I get the bottle. How many people have had an enema in the room? I don't know. Raise your hand. But there's like a two and a half inch nozzle on it that goes up your b-hole. And, uh, you know, I put it up there and I immediately encounter the turd, the behemoth. And I just, you know, I go for it. I start squirting it. And he, you just crush the bottle and put the liquid in. And he's like, ah, I hate it. And I'm like, you asked for this. I don't know what to tell you. They're uncomfortable. They are. And he's just like, immediately, because everyone in the world immediately feels like they have to shit after an enema. He's like, I gotta shit, I gotta shit. And this, I mean, dementia, very unreasonable. So he shits in the toilet and it doesn't flush. It won't flush. This thing was the size of a remote control and rock hard. And my charge nurse comes in and I just go, go take a look at the bathroom. And she goes, oh yeah, that's a silker. <laughs> All right, our voicemails took a butthole turn this time. <laughs> I didn't expect. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, thank you guys for leaving voicemails. If you'd like to leave a voicemail of your own, you can get in touch with us at 386-227-7848. What does that spell? What does it spell? What does it spell? Do you know it? Dumbass tit. Dumbass oh, tit. Yeah. Spell out dumbass tit on your telephone dial to hear a special message made just for you by the Where is the Line intro man. Again, that number is 386-227-7848. Do we have anything else to say? 
Uh, I don't know. I'm speechless. Thank you all so much for listening. <laughs> we'll see you again soon. Bye, y'all. Bye. Kids, when you go to bed, stay away from your closets and don't look under your